You're listening to ReachMDXM233, the channel for medical professionals. Picture this. You work in a small or even a medium-sized hospital. And if it's the ED, every specialist you call thinks the patient is too well for him to come in to see him, or else he comes in and blames you for not telling him how sick he really was. And if you're the specialist, wouldn't you like to see the patient before they try to transfer him to you? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson, your host, and with me today is Dr. James Marcin, an associate professor at UC Davis Children's Hospital in Sacramento, California. Dr. James Marcin is a pediatric intensivist, but he is also the pediatric critical care director for the Pediatric Telemedicine Center for Health and Technology. So today we're discussing telemedicine as a way to bring the consultant to the bedside. Thank you for taking the time to be with us today, Jim. It's my pleasure. Thank you, Shira. So first of all, tell our listeners what telemedicine is today, where it's at, and a little bit of how it got there. Well, it's at a, I would say, a critical point now because really the use of it and the number of applications that it's being used for is literally exploding. I think that it began as kind of a novel way of addressing disparities of adults and children living in rural and remote locations that don't typically have access to specialists. But as we're learning how to use it, the technology is getting better, the prices are coming down of the equipment, we're finding of how we can even improve our, what we would consider, efficient way of delivering health care right now. So there's new applications, even if you're not delivering care to over a long distance to an outpatient clinic, we're even using it within our own health system right now to improve the quality of care. So tell us what you're doing at UC Davis and what is the setup you're using there? Well, we have different, many different models and many different applications. We'll do the outpatient typical consultation where it's a live specialist seeing patients in a remote location. And we have clinicians that will spend their half day or full day seeing patients throughout Northern California with appointments scheduled throughout at different cities. We also have an active store and forward telemedicine program where remote doctors can send in images or videos to our specialists and our specialists can respond to them by email. We use teleinterpreting. We're using telemedicine in the operating room, in emergency departments, and inpatient locations so that we can see adults and children in other hospitals that don't have access to those types of specialists. So at UC Davis, it's really exploded. And you've been doing this how many years? Fifteen years. I like to toot our horn a little bit, but certainly there are other health systems in the country that you know do great jobs at other applications. For example, international telemedicine or integrating the EMS system where ambulances and remote providers are hooked up to the emergency department. So there's other health systems that are doing very cutting-edge work along these lines. So for any of our listeners who haven't heard of it before, the basic setup would be like a telecam or? Right. The video conferencing units, or they're often called key turn systems on the remote locations, and you would have one of these on the remote location, a flat screen monitor or a regular CRT monitor. You have some connection between the two locations, either fractionated T1, ISDN, or Internet, and in the same setup on the the specialist side, a camera and a monitor. So they are getting real-time audio, visual. They use it for EKGs or a physical exam? Yes, and all of this can be expanded to include what are called medical peripherals. So our ENT doctors, for example, will have a remote general practitioner be doing nasopharyngoscopy. So these also hook up to the systems. 
our cardiologists can listen to heart sounds remotely using a, an electronic digital stethoscope. Similarly with echoes and radiology can be digital, that can be transmitted, as well as ophthalmologic images when you're doing screening for diabetic retinopathy. All of these can be hooked up and used in the same telecommunications port. It certainly wasn't there when I was moonlighting. Um, I'm impressed. The use of it is we're just on the cusp. I think that it's really... I'm a little bit biased, I must admit that, but it's going to definitely transform the way that we practice medicine. Our medical students now are being introduced to it. Our residents in dermatology and ophthalmology now are seeing patients during training over telemedicine and in psychiatry also. How does it improve care? Can you give us any numbers or any hard data? That's a good question. One is that we've shown in a couple of studies that it increases access to patients that otherwise wouldn't be seeing a specialist. An easy example is screening for diabetic retinopathy. We've increased rates from the 30s into the 80s for screening for retinopathy at remote locations. And the patients, given the option of driving however however many miles or however many hours to see the specialist versus being able to have this done in their local provider's office, it's a no-brainer, and they, they're more likely to see the specialist this way. The other issue is with regards to satisfaction of care, if patients aren't having to travel or wait long periods of time to see specialists, more immediate access to the specialist increases their perception of quality of care. What can you tell us about the risk management issue, which is huge, but maybe you could just uh, comment upon it? So no telemedicine program that I'm aware of has had to increase the specialist liability for using telemedicine. When we're called upon as specialists, and when they get our names for a curbside, for example, they're always writing our name down in their chart. So we're always involved with the care. But our lawyers, as well as lawyers at other healthcare institutions that are doing telemedicine, view this as maybe even for us as clinicians less likely to get involved with a malpractice suit because we're actually seeing the patient. We're getting more of their data. We're talking to them. We're talking to the remote provider. So we probably have a better understanding of the patient's condition versus just over the telephone. Through better data management. Yes. There is one example that I can give where a lawsuit has been brought up where a patient had a bad outcome at a remote facility and they didn't have that specialist available. And the lawyers are trying to sue that hospital saying that, well, they could have access to that specialist if they were to use telemedicine. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM 233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson, and I'm speaking today with Dr. James Marcin, and we're discussing telemedicine, bringing the specialist to the bedside and improving the consult. Now, Jim, I know you did a study with ER consults. Can you tell us something about it? Yeah, so we have a couple of studies going on trying to assess the impact of telemedicine on transfers, quality of care, patient satisfaction, and medication errors. The one that you're speaking about is where we have nine rural emergency departments with telemedicine in their EDs. And generally, these are staffed by family practitioners, internists, or even moonlighting surgeons that are doing shifts, very low-volume EDs. And we also have control EDs where they just the standard of care is to call with telemedicine. We're assessing the quality of care, medication error rates, and transfer rates, and satisfaction among the sickest children that present to all of these emergency departments. And we have interim 
data to show that medications are less likely to happen when the telemedicine consultation is going on. Unequivocally, parents are satisfied and more grateful for the care that they receive versus those receiving care without a telemedicine consultation, just a telephone consultation. And we also have demonstrated in different aspects of quality of care, higher levels of quality care provided to these children. We haven't seen any differences with regards to transfers because it actually turns out sometimes they'll call us and when a transfer patient will say, ah, you know, that patient, that child looks pretty good. They can actually go home or stay locally. And it happens vice versa. Several times we've recommended transfer when the referring doc was actually wanting to send the child home or admit locally. So it actually overcomes barriers. Yes. I think in, in with regards to the transfer rate, we feel that we're increasing the efficiency of those children that are transferred to us. It's interesting because another part of medicine isn't just the, the science, but there's the art. And when you see the patient or talk to the patient or touch the patient, you sometimes get a different message than what the numbers just show. Until you do it, there's so many anecdotal stories that I can say. People say, well, I've been doing this on the phone. It works fine. But when the two providers see each other when I talk to the patient, when I'm able to look at the if the ventilator or the monitor or the capillary refill, that adds so much more. It is It really is a picture being worth a thousand words. How is it being funded? What are the issues in reimbursement? Okay, very, very good question too. As you can imagine, if it's to remote and rural areas and there's high cost of telecommunications, those models are very difficult to sustain. Medicare currently does reimburse telemedicine as long as some stipulations are met, like the remote side has to be in a HIPSA area. Medicaid is left up to the state. More than half of the states currently have legislation that makes Medicaid patients eligible for reimbursement. So our specialists in California are able to see patients over telemedicine, and they bill the exact same rates that they would if they saw the patient in person, and they collect those same rates. With regards to private insurance, it's very similar to the Medicaid. Probably about a third of the states, including California, has legislation to make sure that the private payers reimburse for this for telemedicine visits. Is the government involved in telemedicine? What are telemedicine-friendly states? What's that about? There's something called the Office for the Advancement of Telehealth. It's a small entity, but they do put out research grants, and they are working on standardizing telecommunications. They're also involved with the Federation of State Medical Boards so that as this technology expands, one can envision, like, why shouldn't I be able to see a patient in Iowa or Massachusetts or anywhere where there's a need if I'm awake and available? So there's legislation trying to address state medical boards, licensing issues, and even locally with credentialing because the credentialing and state licensure laws are much far behind the technology and what we're able to do now. The telemedicine-friendly states are, I, I would say, those that have legislation that ensure that the physicians are reimbursed for their telemedicine consultations. And we've done a lot of work here. Like, if you just know your local congressman, state congressman, or senator, him or her, then you're able to address them, show them the technology, and say that we will improve the quality of care to those living in our state if we ensure that we're reimbursed for this technology. Where is it going internationally? Are we there yet? Yes, people do definitely see there's many telemedicine organizations that work internationally. 
because I'm a pediatrician, I'm more familiar with the pediatric applications. One such program is called Medical Missions for Children, and I believe that they're seeing children in more than 200 countries across the world where they're able to hook up and get consultations at remote locations. Typically, I've talked to the CEO with this company, and he says that, you know, they set up these Latin American countries, and they had envisioned them calling the United States frequently. But what instead is happening is Latin American countries are contacting their colleagues in other Latin American countries doing consultations that way and getting second opinions. But certainly we're there regarding the reimbursement and telecommunications. That's a problem. A lot of these are NGOs and funded by grant funding or or donations. I want to thank Dr. James Morrison, who's been our guest today, and we've been discussing telemedicine, bringing the specialist to the bedside to improve the consult. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM 233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions on this or any segment, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. We want to hear from you. Thank you for listening.